This is episode number 664 with best-selling author Jordan Peterson. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Winston Churchill said, the price of greatness is responsibility. We have Jordan Peterson in the house. And for those that don't know, Dr. Jordan Peterson is a professor at the University of Toronto, a clinical psychologist and author of the hit book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, which has now sold over one and a half million copies in about six months since it came out. This is taking over the world. There's so much media, news, and attention around Dr. Peterson, and I'm so excited that we had an opportunity to connect and really dive in deep on some things that I haven't heard him talk about from a lot of the interviews he's done. He got extremely vulnerable a couple of times, and we are doing a two-part series on this. So make sure to listen all the way to the end and listen to the second part as well, as this may inspire you and open you up in a whole new way. His YouTube channel features his university and public lectures. He's got hundreds of videos, over 1.2 million subscribers, and over 60 million views over there. His popular podcast is always in the top on iTunes in the higher education category. And he's considered a main thought leader in belief systems and human psychology. And today we talk about why taking responsibility for your life is so important. Also, why sports figures are so admirable and what we can learn from them. Why having a vision or some type of aim, even a bad aim, lessens our suffering in life. The risk of wandering in no man's land with zero purpose and a mindset tool to motivate you to do hard things. This, I'm telling you guys, is a powerful episode. Make sure you listen all the way to the end. Make sure to share with a friend, lewishouse.com slash 664, and tag myself and Dr. Jordan Peterson over on Instagram to let us know that you're listening and what you're getting out of this podcast. Before we dive in, give a quick shout out to the fan of the week. This is from Joshua Grimm, who says, Lewis, thank you so much for what you do. I've always daydreamed of what it would be like to have a few moments to pick the brains of the most influential people, and you provide that gateway. Your interviews and questions with all the people you meet are so moving. As a music lover, I have had to change my driving habits for the better, and now I have made a habit of listening to you and your interviews on my morning commute. Thank you. So Joshua Grimm, thanks for being the fan of the week. Means a lot. And if you guys haven't left a review yet, you can over on the podcast app or on iTunes and uh, just leave us a review. We've got over 3,200 five-star reviews now and they keep coming. So thanks so much for all your reviews. Your spring is about to get a lot more powerful with the Home Depot. Get gas-like power for mowing, trimming, and blowing with the RYOBI 18-volt 1-plus system. Starting at just $89. Mowing power that can take on a third of an acre with one charge. Trimming power with up to two hours of runtime. And blower power with 110 miles per hour of clearing force. All on one interchangeable battery. Get the cordless gas-like power for the entire lawn with the RYOBI 18-volt 1 
OnePlus system, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back, and there are no fees, period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. So many of us love coffee, like the living for it type of love. Some like it hot, some like it iced with a splash of creamer, and some like it with a cold foam topping. Many of us stop into coffee shops on our way to work more often than we'd like to admit. But now, thanks to International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, you can make cold foam coffee at home, or in my team's case, in the office, and it's a game changer. I was just chatting with a teammate of mine about our love for the occasional sweet treat coffee. Sometimes, it's just the thing you need as a pick-me-up on a busy day and we just stocked our office fridge with international delight cold foam creamer and it never misses the team's favorite flavor so far is the caramel macchiato you just shake the canister and spray it into your coffee and voila you've got an incredible cold foam coffee no frothing fancy machines or mess required international delight cold foam creamer foams and creams your coffee from top to bottom the best part it works on both hot and iced coffee it comes in three foaming delicious flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato, so you can switch things up depending on your mood. Look for your favorite flavor next time you're at your grocery store, and be prepared to say goodbye to your barista. International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. It's foaming delicious. My career not only requires me to travel, but also gives me the freedom to. Traveling has brought me so many positive experiences and memories. Like that time I spent the holidays at an Airbnb in Big Bear with some of my extended family, and it was the perfect way to come together and connect with my family that I don't see that often. If you have a similar setup that allows you to travel often, have you ever thought about your empty home while you're gone? More specifically, how you can make some extra money by keeping your home occupied while you're out of town. I'm a big advocate for setting up a side hustle to give you an extra stream of income and Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start. Many people host on Airbnb, including some friends of mine, but there are some people out there who've never even realized their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you've got yourself an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. Quaker has been a trusted name in breakfast for over 145 years, which is crazy to think about because that means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, and the ballpoint pen. And while clearly a lot of things have changed since 1877, some things have stayed the same, like the great taste and quality of Quaker oats. I mean, I think we all grew up with Quaker in our household. Quaker has something for everyone, like old-fashioned and quick oats, great for cooking and baking, or instant oatmeal in different flavors flavors and varieties, one of my faves for a quick breakfast. And whether it's lower sugar or added protein or fiber, Quaker Oats can satisfy the whole family. There's even Quaker Fruit Fusion with real fruit pieces, added vitamins, and no artificial colors for a bold start to a bold morning. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats in your local grocery store. Isn't it obnoxious when companies have those sneaky gotchas? hiding deep in the fine print or bills that seem to go up for no dang reason? 
Like when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying even more than you would have elsewhere. At Metro by T-Mobile, there's nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no price hikes, no surprises. They don't even want me to speed through the legal, so here it is. When they say no price hikes when you join, they mean your price will never increase for talk, text, and smartphone data plans. Their only exclusions are for limited-time promos, per-use charges, and third-party services. I guess that really is nada yada yada. At Metro by T-Mobile. Nada yada yada. Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness podcast. We've got the legendary Jordan Peterson in the house. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you. Very excited about this. You've got a book out called 12 Rules for Life. Make sure you guys check this out. You've probably already got it, but if you don't, I'm telling you, go pick it up right now. An Antidote to Chaos. You've had so much attention over this last couple of years, and I've been digging into the research and just been fascinated by everything that you've been up to. And I just love your stance on the vision you have for humanity in terms of how we can all live better lives. And I think you simplify a lot of things in this book, which some things people don't like to simplify. They like to complicate. And I think that's what's gotten you a lot of attention is that you try to really simplify a lot of these things. Well, I try to make everything concrete so that it's actually implementable. I mean, there's a lot of high-level abstractions in the book because it ranges up into the theological and the philosophical, but it's always grounded in what you can actually do in your life practically. You want to bridge that gap from the highest abstraction down to the lowest level of behavior so that it becomes implementable. And that's how philosophical concepts take on their meaning, right? Because they have to they have to have some impact on the way you see the world and the way you act in the world. Or they're not fully realized, they're not understood. That's partly what we mean, I would say, when we say that we understand something. It's kind of a sta- strange phrase to understand something, but it means to be able to embody it in a shift of view and a shift of action. And then you've got it. It's graspable. It's in your hand. Embody something in a shift of view? Mm-hmm. Well, they're the same, well, they're the same thing, eh? because perceptions are very tightly linked to your actions. Because, of course, when you're acting, you're aiming at something. You have to be devoted towards some aim, some target. Right. We, we, we play that out in sports all the time. Yeah. That's why sports are so entertaining for people, is because they dramatize the idea of aim. And not only of aim, but of the pursuit of excellence in pursuit of that aim. That's the game. And the reason it's a spectacle and the reason that people participate in it is because it dramatizes something absolutely essential about life. And so you want to take philosophical abstractions and you want to use them to to structure your aim. And then your perceptions organize around that aim. And then you act it out. And then you've got it. That's then then it's it's become part of your life. It's not just an it's, just, it's not just a philosophical abstraction that floats free in space. Why is there so much conflict in the world? Is it because there's so many different perceptions that people have on well, what they think should be right or what sure. they should Well, be part equal? of it is, part of it, of course, there's conflict because we have real problems. And so life is actually difficult, independent of, the, of psychological foolishness, let's say, independent of the obstacles that we put in our own path. It's life already challenging. Di- it's, already, it's already fatally challenging. Right, life is the ultimate challenge. We will die. Yes, yes. And, so there know, is well. a challenge, yeah. Yes, uh, well. Uncertainty, you know, fear, pain, all those yes, things. Yes, all the thing, all everything that goes along with suffering is a challenge and it's, it's, it's the full challenge because it takes everything you have. And so 
part of the reason we disagree is because there are complex problems to solve. And then we also disagree because we're willfully blind and because we're more ignorant than we should be and we're not everything we should be. And we tilt towards malevolence from time to time and we betray each other and ourselves. And so we take a bad lot in many ways and make it worse. Now, not always, obviously, and we don't have to, but that's sort of the baseline that we're working against. I think people are most disappointed in life when they're disappointed in themselves. You know, they see Absolutely. that they've made things worse than they had to be, even though the baseline can be pre pretty brutal. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and so the book and all my lectures, I suppose, are put forward in an attempt to take the high-level philosophical abstractions and to make them into something that's actionable. And to take the next best action in your life mm -hmm. to improve your life. Mm -hmm. So we don't mm -hmm. have to suffer as much. Mm -hmm. Well, and hopefully also so that people around you don't have to either. So one of the things I've been talking to my audiences about is the relationship between responsibility and meaning, which is, what would you say, it's a, it's a constant refrain in the book. It's one of its underlying messages, let's say, or themes is a better way of thinking about it. If you start with the presumption that there's a baseline of suffering in life and that that can be exaggerated by, as a consequence of human failing, as a consequence of malevolence and betrayal and self-betrayal and deceit and all those things that we do, to each other and ourselves that we know that aren't good, that amplifies the suffering. That's sort of the baseline against which you have to work. And it's contemplation of that often that makes people hopeless and depressed and anxious and overwhelmed and all of that, and, and they have the reasons. But you need something to put up against that. And what you put up against that is meaning. Meaning is actually the instinct that helps you guide yourself through that catastrophe. And most of that meaning is to be found in the adoption of responsibility. So if you think, for example, if you think about the people that you admire, well, you think about when you have a clear conscience first, because that's a good thing to aim at, which is something different than happiness, right? Um, a clear conscience is different than happiness. Yeah, it's better. Yeah. That's you're not better. Like guilting yourself, you're not feeling bad about yourself. That's right. You feel that you've justified Clean. you've justified your existence, right? And so you're not waking up at three in the morning in a cold sweat thinking about all the terrible things that you've involved yourself in. What you, you said know? to someone that you shouldn't have said, or mm -hmm. how you acted, or mm -hmm. lied. What or opportunity deceit. you lost, or or the things that you've that you've let go that you should have capitalized on and all of that. And so if you think about the times when you're at peace with yourself with regards to how you're conducting yourself in the world, it's almost always conditions under which you've adopted responsibility, mm. right? At least the most guilt I think that you can experience perhaps is the sure knowledge that you're not even taking care of yourself so that you're leaving that responsibility to other people because that's pretty pathetic and I, unless you're psychopathic and, you know, and, and you're living a parasitical life and, and that, that characterizes a very small minority of people and an even smaller minority think that's justifiable. But most of the time you're in guilt and shame because you're not, not only are you not taking care of yourself, let's say, so someone else has to, but you're not living up to your full potential. And so there's an existential weight that goes along with that. So, so you suffer even more mm -hmm. when you don't take care of yourself or take the best actions or do the work that you know you can do and you mm -hmm. rely on someone else to support you financially, emotionally, physically, whatever, you know, home, whatever it may be. Yeah, well, because you're not only, you're not only not being what you could be, you're interfering with someone else being what they could be, right? So you're, you're, you're not only a void, you're a drain. Right. Jesus, that's a catastrophe. And But we usually don't even know it when, in the, when we're in that situation because we're in a depressed state or we're... Or we don't want to see it. Mm. You know, you wake up at three in the morning and you know, 
And so, and then you think of the people that you, so you admire yourself, or perhaps you can at least live with yourself when you're taking responsibility, at least for yourself. And so that settles your conscience. But then if you look at the people that you spontaneously admire, and so the act of spontaneously admiring someone is the manifestation of the instinct for meaning, right? And this is partly why people are so enamored of sports Mm -hmm. figures, because the sports figures are playing out the drama of attaining the goal, of attaining a certain kind of, let's say, psychological and physical perfection in pursuit of the goal. That's the drama. And to spontaneously admire that is to have that instinct for meaning latch onto something that can be used as a model. And then that model should be transcribed into something that's applicable in life. You know, and you really like to see in an athletic performance, you really like to see someone who's extremely disciplined and, and, in, and in shape do something physically remarkable and, and to stretch themselves even beyond their previous exploits because you really like to see a brilliant move yes. in, in an athletic match. But you also like to see that person ensconced in a broader moral framework so that not only are they trying to win and disciplining themselves in pursuit of that victory and then stretching themselves so they're continually getting better, but they're doing it in a way that helps develop their whole team and that's Mm. good for the sport in general and that reflects well on the broader culture. They're a great leader in their team. They're positive. They're good uh, sportsmen against their competitors. They're not negative towards the other people. They're lifting them up too. Yeah. Like the ultimate human. That's right. So that they they can work for their own improvement in a way that simultaneously works for the improvement of their team and that and, and for the sport, and well, and then to the degree that that spills over into the broader culture, so much the better. So that's all being dramatized in an athletic event. And it's really, it's not philosophical, it's concrete, right? It's dramatized in the world, and that's what the games represent. And so, well, and it's partly because, well, in some sense, life is a game. It is. It is. The analogy is that in life, like in sports, you're setting forth a name, and then arranging your perceptions and your actions in pursuit of that aim. And that you also generally do it while cooperating and competing with other people. Right. So that's also the game-like element as well. All of that's dramatized in athletics. Yeah. That's like philosophy for people who aren't philosophical. And I'm not being smart about that yeah. tonight. It's like it really is philosophy for people who aren't being philosophical because it's played out. And you can see it too. You can see the spontaneous appreciation for the human spirit manifest itself when you see people rise to their feet spontaneously in a sports arena when they see someone do something particularly remarkable. See an athlete who's extremely trained stretch themselves beyond what you'd think is a normative human limit. And everyone celebrates that like spontaneously. So it's quite something to, yeah. to behold. And so take me back to responsibility and meaning when we're watching sports or someone do this act. What does this do for us with, in terms of responsibility and meaning? Well, it, it helps us figure out what we can imitate Gives us a model. Right. Yes, it's a model. Right? Here's a model of something that I respect. Mm-hmm. Well, even what philosophy is, or even theology for that matter, is an abstract model. Like it's laid out in words. Now, the problem often is, is it becomes so abstract that people don't know how to bring it back down to, to so, embodiment. Yeah. Yes. Whereas something like, like the drama of a sports event is sort of midway between philosophy and action. It's not entirely abstracted because it's not only coded in words. It's acted out. Visual, you can see an example of what just happens, mm-hmm. and you can try to reverse engineer how they mm-hmm. did that. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, exactly. Well, at, le- at least you, the fact that you admire the person means that you might start to try to act like them. 
and maybe that would mean maybe that would mean that you start to discipline yourself with regards to a particular sport but it might also be that you start to mimic or are at least affected in some way by their their sportsman sportsman like behavior right yeah. which is the ground of a certain kind of ethic because if you can play well with others which is sort of the hallmark of a good sport then that actually means that you're a reasonably sophisticated and civilized person it's really important to learn to play well with others there isn't yeah. that's the ground of ethics and if you can do it there in that setting then hopefully you could translate it into life well, setting well right that's exactly right that's, that's the goal you, well that's what you hope for right. yeah that's the goal of this if the goal of the game is to put the ball through the ball into the net then the goal of having games is to produce people who can take proper aim no matter where they are that's exactly what we're trying to do with with athletics so um, so i've been talking to my audiences a lot about that about the and well and there's more to it too because if the background of life is is there's a there's an ineradicable component of suffering and that's complicated by let's say malevolence and the proclivity of people to betray themselves and others which which complicates it and makes it worse then if you don't have a noble aim and if that isn't imbuing your life with sustainable meaning then you fall prey to all the catastrophe the pain and the anxiety and the anger that that suffering generates and that makes you bitter because what i'm hearing you say is that and correct me if i'm wrong we must have an aim in our life no matter what stage of life we're in and if we don't have some type of aim even if for a few months of an aim of going somewhere or direction we're going to the suffering's going to be even more suffering mm-hmm. because, pointless because we're already going to face the greatest challenges in that's life right. we're already that. struggling that's right there's no way adversity out of is coming no matter what that's right. if we have big goals or small little goal or whatever it may be but it's going to be less suffering if we have an aim. Yeah, well and it's worse than that even because the suffering is <laughs> pain. zero meaning. Well, the suffering is pain and the suffering is anxiety and uncertainty and the suffering is hopelessness, but the consequence of all that is that you get bitter. And when you get bitter, you get mean and you get cruel and you start to hurt yourself and other people. So it's not only that if you don't have a goal, you suffer, it's that if you don't have a goal, you suffer and then you get cruel and bitter and resentful and then you start to actively try to make the world a worse place mm. and so because you can't suffer pointlessly without becoming bitter and you can't become bitter without becoming cruel so you need an aim and the question is then the question of course is what aim. you should aim yeah, <laughs> a, better yeah. Aim. <laughs> yeah a better aim that's for sure <laughs> so then the question is what should your aim be now we have a program mm-hmm. it's one of the things i wanted to talk to you about yeah. today i I have this website called selfauthoring.com and that program helps people write about their life and so there's a past authoring program to establish your aim you have to know where you are it's like you're trying to orient yourself on a map you can't orient yourself on a map unless you know where you are you yeah. also have to know where you're going right so those are the two relevant things the past authoring program helps people write about their life so it's a guided autobiography we ask people to break their life up into six epoch six sections and then to write about the emotionally important events in those in those epochs and to detail out why the positive things happened and why more of that could conceivably happen in the future and to detail out why the negative things happened and to try to understand why with an aim to not replicating them in the future because the purpose of memory isn't to remember the past the purpose of memory is so that you figure out what went wrong when something went wrong so you don't duplicate it in the future so that's yeah. the purpose of memory and the past authoring program can help people catch up 
And you know you have to catch up if you have memories that are older than about a year and a half that still cause you emotional pain when you mm -hmm. think about them. Or if you dwell on them, they come spontaneously back to mind. It means you haven't, it means that there's part of your life that you haven't mapped out properly and it still has emotional valence that's gripping you. You're still holding on to that story. Or it's yeah. still holding on to you. Mm, interesting. Right, you haven't right. let it go. Yeah. yeah, well, you haven't been able to navigate your way through it. You, there's a pitfall there that you fell in and you don't know how to avoid similar pitfalls in the future, and that's why so your brain repeat. won't let it go. Because oh. it's saying that's what the anxiety systems do. It's like, this happened to you, it wasn't good. This happened to you, it wasn't good. This happened to you, it wasn't good. Fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. That will never go away unless you fix it. How do you fix it? Well, you have to figure out why it happened, right? That's the first thing is like, how did you, how was it that that situation arose to pull you down? And that's not simple. That's why, well, that's why we have the writing program because it's complicated to think it through. But if you face it and you meditate on it, let's say, and you do this voluntarily, there's a pretty high probability that you'll be able to decrease the probability that will be repeated in the future. So the second part of the program helps people do an analysis of their virtues and their faults. Mm -hmm. Same sort of idea. What's good about you that you could capitalize on? What's weak about you that you need to fix so that it doesn't bring you down, right? And that's the present authoring. But the future authoring program is probably most relevant to mm -hmm. you and your listeners because you're interested in helping people establish aims. And so we already talked about the fact that you need an aim in life or, or that's where you derive your meaning. And without that, things go to hell as literally as that can be taken. And so, but it's not easy to, to ask people to say, well, it's easy to ask them, what do you want in your life? It's a very hard question to answer because it's too vague and, and grand. Eh? So we help, in the future authoring program, we help people break that down. It's okay, so here, here's the situation. So you put yourself in the right frame of mind. So what's the right frame of mind? It's like rule two in this book. Treat yourself like you're someone responsible for helping. You're someone that you are responsible for helping. So what that means is you have to start from the presupposition that despite all your flaws and insufficiencies, that it's worth having you around and that it would be okay if things were better for you. So you need to take care of yourself like you're taking care of someone you care for. So there's a bit of a detachment in that. And then the next thing is, okay, so now look three to five years down the road. Okay, you get to have what you need and want, assuming you're being reasonable and that you actually want it, which means you're willing to make the sacrifices that would that would make it possible. What do you mean by reasonable? Well, within your grasp, that would be something. What if you something know? is out of your grasp, but you still push hard enough well, to then potentially you need, get it? Then you need an incremental plan. You know what feels good? Winning. And not just in sports. Like when your coffee's still warm once you reach your job site. Or when you finish a project days before the deadline and coming in under budget. That's claiming victory. You can even claim victory on your taxes by losing your current tax preparer and switching to H&R Block. And once you do, you'll start to feel like a tax champion. Because at Block, you'll have many ways to get your taxes done. You can walk in, make an appointment, or drop off your documents at a time that's convenient for you. You'll get 100% accuracy on your max refund or your money back. Plus, with their upfront transparent pricing, you'll know the price of your tax prep before you even get started. So make room on that trophy shelf and prepare to tax like a champion this tax season at H&R Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. Disclaimer, all tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. 
Think of all the amazing things in life that are expressions of just you. For instance, the song you stream over and over again while you're in your 13th hour of gaming at 4 a.m. in the morning with all the lights off, trying not to wake up your roommates, or the recommendations that you share with your friends on the top six comedy podcasts that are the best to listen to on your way to the gym and back, or even your new haircut, which may or may not be an epic bowl cut from the 90s and hopefully is. Everything that makes you, you, makes all the difference. State Farm believes insurance should work the same way. Your plan, your coverage selections can be personalized by you and the ability to choose the plan that you want by picking the options that fit you, like choosing to bundle your home and auto policies, is what the State Farm personal price plan is all about. Getting the coverage you want at an affordable price just for you. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits like four times membership rewards points that adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year and up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Got right, it. you yeah, need yeah, to course. break that goal down into steps. Not that some you... crazy goal within a year that's like yeah. you haven't even done the work to master a skill yet. Yeah, I got yeah. It. Well, that's it, and you can have a high end goal, and more right. power to you if you do. But you need frame. it. Yeah. Well, you need a pathway to yeah, it. Absolutely. If it's ten stories up above you, you need a staircase to get there, right? And so you have to build the staircase too. And so, in the future authoring program, so you're asked first of all, okay, here's you get to have what you want and need. That's the proposition but you have to aim at it. You have to define it and aim at it. So here, so then the first thing is, okay, uh, if you could put your family together the way you wanted it to be, what would that look like? And so that might be your siblings and your parents, but that also might be you know, your wife or your husband and your kids, assuming that you're at that point in your life. If you could have the family you wanted, what would that look like, right? Okay, career, same thing. You get to have the career or the job that, that is within your grasp, necessary, and suitable for you if you were taking care of yourself. How are you gonna educate yourself? Because you're not as smart as you should be. There's a lot more things you need to know. So you gotta keep learning and moving forward. So you need to plan for that. How are you gonna take care of yourself mentally and physically, right? So how are you going to avoid the, the catastrophic temptations, for example, of drugs and alcohol? Because that pulls a lot of people down. You need a plan for that. You're gonna be a social drinker? How much are you gonna drink? How much is too much? What about your drug use? Mm. You gotta regulate that so it isn't a pitfall. How are you going to use your time meaningful and productively outside of work? Because you need to plan for that. So that's, and there's one other that, that, I, that slipped in my mind said, at the right? moment. Yeah, I think there's seven initial questions. Intimate relationship, of course. Mm -hmm. So you have, do you want a long-term, stable, intimate relationship? And if you do, then how would you like that to lay itself out? You've got to have a vision for that. Because if you don't have a vision, you're not going to aim at it. And if you don't aim at it, then you won't even see the opportunities when they arise. That's the thing that's so cool. I wrote about this in chapter 10, which is be precise in your speech. It's a chapter about the fact that aims structure your perceptions. So for example, once you aim at something, your brain, literally, the perceptual structures in your brain, in your visual cortex, reorient themselves to calculate a pathway to the aim. And then what they show you in the world is obstacles to that path and, and open pathways to the path. That's actually how the world reveals itself. Just like, just like when you're driving in a car and you have a map 
and you or you aim at a particular place, then all the things that are related to that place show up in the world. It's exactly the same thing. Because yeah. you are traveling through time and space, right? And you need a map. And so, so after you answer these seven questions, and you're encouraged to do it badly, because you don't have to Just get perfectionistic. Yeah. Just complete it, right? <laughs> because a bad plan is better than no plan. It gives you something to improve. Mm -hmm. So even if your aim is vague, and even if it's off target, if you start aiming and you see you're off target, then you can shift and you can make it more precise. You start to recognize what you don't want in that. Aim. Yes, exactly. Say, exactly. oh, I thought I wanted this, but I don't. Exactly. So let me re-navigate and figure out what I do exactly. want. And you might have to try a bunch of things. Yeah, well, you will have to. You can be, that's why you shouldn't get perfectionistic about it. You will absolutely be wrong, but you won't be as wrong as you would have been if you were aimless. So there's a bit of no humility. Man's land no man's land is, is not worse good. than going somewhere. No man's somewhere. room is a worse than a bad path. Yeah. That's exactly right. Ooh, I like that that's one. A, that's, that's a good, a good one. one. <laughs> that's a good one, and it's right. It's right. You don't want to be in no man's land. Why did you use that phrase? Because that's right. That's exactly uh, right. I think um, for me, uh, the idea of walking around aimlessly is like the worst idea in the world. It's like zero purpose, zero mission, zero certainty at all. It's well, like walking around in no man's land right. aim, aimlessly. But it's funny, too, because in no man's land, everybody's shooting at you. Because right, that's a military term. Right. No man's land is the space in the between middle two of everyone's positions. coming at you. Yeah, yeah. You bet. So if you're aimless, you're also at a place where everything is shooting at you. Dang. Yeah. So it's a very good that's metaphor deep. that came to mind. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's why we worked on it. That's very, very <laughs> cool. So then we say to people, okay, look now. Okay, now you've thought about this for a while. It's nice to do this over a couple of days too, because then you get to sleep on it, and that helps reorient yourself. Yes. So then, okay, now you write for 20 minutes. Don't worry about grammar, or spelling. This isn't a this isn't a, a composition exercise, right? You get to have what you want three to five years down the road. What does your life look like, hypothetically? Mm -hmm. Write it out, write it out. Okay, so then that's the first part. The second part of the exercise is, so now you've got your thing to aim at. You think, well, I'm motivated because I got my thing to, thing to aim at. Yeah. It's like, you're not as motivated as you could be because you don't yet have your thing to run away from. Because if you really want to be motivated, you want to be going somewhere and you want to be not going somewhere else. Which typically is a pain, mm -hmm. right? Yes, or pain or, or anxiety. Or, yeah, some, yeah. some domain of suffering and guilt, yeah. I don't say. want to feel this anymore. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so the other thing we ask people is, okay, now take stock of your weaknesses and imagine that you let them multiply. You got hopeless and you augured in and things were as bad for you as they could be in three to five years. What are some examples of weaknesses that people might have? They lie. They procrastinate, yeah. they avoid, they're grandiose, they're narcissistic, they're undisciplined, they're nihilistic, they're aimless, all of those things. Got it, yeah. Right? Victim they, mentality. Victim yeah. mentality, they take the quick way out, they mm. pursue impulsive <clears throat> pleasures, they sacrifice meaning for expediency, they don't take care of their basic responsibilities, they fight stupidly mm. with their parents, they don't, they don't negotiate properly with their spouse, they're bitter at work because they haven't said what they have to say. Mm. They haven't thought through what they're doing tomorrow. They drink too much. They smoke too much. They take too many drugs. They don't regulate their... their out, yeah. Yeah. So there's like... <clears throat> got it. And so everyone knows, man. Yeah. Everyone knows. And everyone's got a set of weaknesses yeah. that they know about. And so we say, all right... What are some of your weaknesses, like three weaknesses that you know right now you can still work on and then three things that you think are really... Well, a lot of in. things, a lot of things are things that I've taken care of in my life. Like I used to smoke when I was a kid. I smoked a pack a day. I used to drink a lot. I didn't work out. Like I wasn't nearly as disciplined as I should have been. Yeah. Um, I wasn't as careful with what I was saying. And I, I suppose loose. Yeah. my most likely negative outcome probably would have been I really like to drink. 
like alcohol was a really good drug for me. Is that I why you did your lot. thesis on that? Well, partly. It, it was mostly because the opportunity came up for me to investigate drug and alcohol use. But I came from a little town in northern Alberta. It was a heavy drinking town, and yeah. that could have been a real trap for me. Right. So anyway, so we have these people who say, okay, now you know your weaknesses, and you know what particular hell you would descend to if you allowed yourself to descend into it because you've probably had a taste of it. It's like you really let that go, and you're in a terrible place in three to five years because you haven't done what you should do. What does that look like? It's like... Everybody writes Write that it down. down. Yeah. Write it down so you know. Because one of the things you want to have behind you, let's say you have to do something difficult, like go confront your boss. It's like, well, maybe hope isn't enough to encourage you to do that. You think, if I don't go confront my boss carefully and intelligently, right. then I'm going to hate my job, and then I'm going to drink more, then I'm going to end up in that little hell place that I designed for myself. It's right. like, oh, I'm not going there. Well, I don't want to talk to my boss or I don't want to confront my wife or my husband, whatever it is, or my father or my children for that matter. But if I don't... Then I'll resent myself or resent the situation. I'm going to end up going oh, yeah. down this yeah. terrible pathway. It's like, yeah. because sometimes when you're moving forward, you have to do something difficult. And you might think, well, why bother? And the answer is, well, so I don't end up in hell. Yeah, How yeah. about that? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, there's that. Because <laughs> it's, it's so, deep. If you don't experience the pain now or the difficulty now, you're gonna have a deeper pain later. Yeah, yeah, that's life. Much man. deeper pain yeah, later. Yeah. And that's why I think that you mentioned at one point is like putting ourselves in structured pain, like structured sense of feeling pain throughout the day, whether it be the tough conversation. I don't wanna do that, it's painful, but I'm going to because I know afterwards it's gonna probably feel better. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a sacrifice, right? So you sacrifice stability in the present for a gain in the future. That's the big discovery of human beings. Sacrifice works. Exactly, and were you a big athlete growing up? No. No? No. Well, I was a small kid and I skipped a grade. Although I skied and I went cross-country skiing and that, but it's individual sports things, mostly with my dad. You'll understand then, in order to improve as an athlete or in any sport, you have to put yourself through daily pain. Yeah, right. If you wanna achieve that model of excellence that you watch someone playing basketball as a child and you see someone living this model, it's going to be 15 years of deliberate pain. Yeah, that's a discipline. That's man. it. Yeah, well, I worked out for a long time with weights, you know. And, so you know. Yeah, you felt yeah, it every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. You didn't want to push through the pain, but yeah. you knew that it would get you a greater result. Yeah, well, and it's easier not to do it than to do it, but not in the long run. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've really seen the benefits, for example, for weightlifting, because I've watched people, because I'm 58, 50, how old am I? 56. You look great. You no, know, I'm so I'm getting older, and I've really noticed the difference between people and when they age, um, between people who laid down a good physiological platform when they were young and those who didn't. Because by the if you haven't worked out weights particularly, yeah. I would say, you start to get pretty soft in your 30s and your cardiovascular system starts to go, and really early. The other thing too is the best thing you can do to maintain cognitive ability, it's exercise. So Physical. if you're 50, both cardiovascular and weightlifting. If you're 50, you can restore your cognitive function to the level of a 30-year-old through exercise. Your, your mental function mm-hmm. through physical activity. Yeah, well, your brain is a very demanding organ. And if your cardiovascular system is compromised, then you get stupid. And wow. so, yeah, it's really... because so the less I, you move and the bigger mm-hmm. you get, the more stupid you become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Smaller because your you brain com- gets... You, well, you compromise, you compromise its function because the brain is... It, it, it's, it's, it's the organ that uses more... It's, it's very metabolically demanding. And so if you're not in phys- good physical shape, then the, one of the things that suffers most greatly is your cognitive function. And so that's quite an interesting thing to see how tight that linkage is. So in the next part of the program, we have people, now it's okay, now you got your vision. Yeah. 
Even if it's a bad one, it's yeah, still okay. That's right. What's well, better than no vision at all, right? It's better something no that you land. can improve. Yeah. Well, think. You're trying to get through a territory you don't understand. And here's your option. No map. A map that's not so good but has some <laughs> things about it. Or a great map. Well, obviously, the great map is the thing you want. Well, yeah. But the, the map that's something is way better than the map that's nothing. Plus, as you explore, because of your map, you can start to fill in the details. And you start to learn, and you start mm -hmm. to overcome stuff, and you mm -hmm. start to master skills mm -hmm. on your journey, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, too, is like, let's say you, you aim at something, and you, and you develop some skills along the way, and then you get like a third of the way there, and you think, oh, that's not for me. It's like, well, yeah, fair enough, but now you've still got the skills you developed. You know exactly why it's not for you now instead of vaguely. So you don't have to keep going after that exactly, way. Exactly, exactly. Well, and you have a rationale. Yeah. And then you can bring that wisdom back, even though it's not perfect, you can bring it back to your next plan. And so. And take responsibility yes. for the next steps. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so as you plan, you get better at planning, which is the crucial thing. So then we say to people, well, take your positive vision and make it into eight stateable goals, right? So, and then rank them in a hierarchy because you need to know what. Like a top goal and then yeah, and, incremental goals. Yeah, and, and, and that, well, that's the other thing is break the goals into incremental goals so that you have a reasonable probability of succeeding. So, because what you want to do, this is also what you want to do with a kid. You don't tell your kid, here's an impossible thing. Why don't you go out and fail? You say, Here's something worth going after. Here's a step you could take that would push you beyond where you are, but that you also have a reasonably high probability of succeeding at. Mm -hmm. Right? They call that within the, a time frame. Mm, yeah, within yeah. some time frame. That's the other thing. You have to parameterize it with regards to time frame. That's right. And that puts you in the zone of proximal development. And that's a that's a concept that was generated by a guy named Vygotsky. He was a Russian developmental psychologist and a smart one. It's where the idea of the zone comes from, to be in the zone. And when you're in the zone, you're expanding your skills at, in a manner that's intrinsically rewarding because you're succeeding. And so you want to set, if you're good to yourself, you think, okay, I need to set a goal, but I need to set a goal that someone as stupid and useless as me could probably attain if they put some effort into it. Right. And then, you got, then you've got it perfectly because it's not so high that it's grandiose or impossible that you fail necessarily and then justify your bitterness. It's like, well, I could do, well, because that, that happens to people. Happens man. all the time. Yeah, it's like. See this all the time. You know, it's like, it's, yes, exactly. Well, I set a goal and I didn't attain it, so I'm not going to set any more goals. Right. It's like, no, you set a goal that was inappropriate. For the time frame. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's right. You didn't calibrate it properly. Yeah. And, and you're playing a trick on yourself because you wanted to fail so that you could justify not having to try. And being a victim, mm -hmm. yeah. Which isn't helpful. You're still going to be a victim. It's like there's no way out of that, man. Yeah. So, you know, because life is this life is a challenge that in some sense can't be surmounted. So there's no way out of your problem. But there are certainly proper ways of dealing with it. Yeah. And so you so lay you out. Those eight, those eight steps. Yeah, right? yeah. Lay them out. And then the next thing is, okay, you need a rationale for them because you're going to have doubts and other gonna, people are going to put up obstacles. Is that a meaning you mean? Is that a meaning? A rationale means a meaning? Yeah, or? yeah. Justification. Yeah. It's like, okay, so what sort of justification is a good justification for your goals? It's easy. Why would it be good for you? Okay. Why would it be good for your family if you attained that goal? Why would it be good for the broader community? Because if it's a good goal, it should be good for you. That's fine. But if it's a really good goal, it should be good for you in a way that's good for other people. Win, win, win. Yes, exactly. And, you, and if you're going to decide what your goals are, why not set up the ones that benefit 
the largest number of the people simultaneously. Yeah. Yes, if you can do that. You should start with your own concerns because you have yeah. to take care of yourself. Basic needs first. Yes, put your own Family. oxygen mask on, then put your child's oxygen Community. mask on. Yeah, right. As you build up a, the basis of competence locally, you might develop enough skills so that you can expand that outward. Mm -hmm. And it also gives your goal a certain amount of nobility. And so in, if someone challenges you and says, well, why are you doing that? That seems stupid. You can say, I'm doing that because it helps me take care of myself, but it benefits my family, and here's the reasons why. And this is the repercussions out into the broader community. And like people aren't people who are putting up objections and doubts aren't aren't armed to deal with that kind of response. Yeah. And then when you have those doubts in your mind that plague you, which they and you go back to your reasons. Go back to your reasons. You your say, why? That's right. Say why? Why am I doing this? Oh yeah, it's because well I have to take care of myself because otherwise I'm pathetic and useless and bitter <laughs> and cruel and then and I'm going somewhere terrible. So that's a bad idea. And here's how it would help my family. And here's how it would help the community. And that's good enough set of reasons for unless I can think of better ones. Right. Right. If without better ones, that's good enough. Because I think the question <clears throat> comes back to someone could go down the rabbit hole and say why? Why am I doing this? And why is this? meaningful for me, and I think a lot of people go back to, well, why am I here in the first yes. place? Yes, yes. Why am I here? Mm -hmm. What is the meaning of my life? Mm -hmm. And is this real, mm -hmm. or is this just some dream world? Well, then people do go back to that. And then they get stuck on that. Yeah. Like, none of this even matters because why am I even here? Well, the thing is, is that that's a self-defeating set of propositions in some sense because the consequence of being stuck there no the reason you're stuck there to begin with is because you're not very happy about the fact that life is intrinsically tied up with suffering, because you wouldn't be asking that question to begin with. Okay, so if you let that pull you in and take you down, all it does is make the suffering worse. It's not helpful. And then the cascade that we talked about happens. You suffer stupidly and pointlessly. You get bitter, you get cruel, yeah. you make everything worse. It's like, that's your answer, is it? You're going to make everything worse. It's bad enough, you're going to make it worse. <laughs> Mostly people won't do that consciously. Yes. So you think, well, what's the alternative? Well, here's one. If you have a sufficiently noble purpose, the suffering will justify itself. I think that's empirically testable, and I do believe it's the case because I've watched people do very difficult things, like people who work in palliative care wards. So all they're ever dealing with is pain and death, and they can do it. They get up in the morning, they go to work, and they take care of those people. They lose people on a weekly basis, and yet they can do it. And what that shows is that if you turn around and you confront the suffering voluntarily, you find out that you are way tougher than you think. It's not that life is better than you think. Life is as harsh as you think. It might even be worse, but you are way tougher than you think if you turn around and confront it. And so then what you discover is that there's a spirit within you that, pursues, that can pursue something meaningful, that has the resilience and the strength to contend properly with the catastrophe of existence without becoming bitter. That's actually the central. So, mm. and then I would say that's one of the central themes of 12 Rules for Life is that make no mistake about it. Like the first noble truth of Buddhism, life is suffering. This is true. And it's worse than that because it's suffering contaminated by malevolence. That's the baseline. But, and so that's very pessimistic. But the optimistic part is that you are so damn tough, you can actually not only deal with that, you can improve it. Mm. It's like, hmm, oh, well, that's a horrible situation. But it turns out that I'm armed for the task. Well, that's, that's a great thing for people to know. And I do believe, I think the fact that we're armed for the task is even more true than the fact that life is catastrophe contaminated by malevolence. We're stronger than things are terrible. 
So, and things are pretty terrible. So that means we're pretty damn strong. Wow. Yes, it's a very good thing to know. And it's not naive optimism. It's yeah. a very different thing. It's like, no, things are terrible. They're brutal. And you are so damn tough, you can't believe it. There you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this first part of a two-part series with Dr. Jordan Peterson. The next part will be coming up very soon. Make sure to share this with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 664. All about responsibility and meaning. Again, when we do these things, we are able to live a greater life. When we take responsibility and we find meaning for our life. The next part is all about pain and suffering and how to handle the pain and the suffering that we face in our life. There's some incredible research and studies that he's gone through and he's going to share with us in that specific episode. So make sure to share this with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 664. Connect on all the show notes there. The full video interview is there as well and all the information to his book and his online course as well about self-authoring. You're going to want to make sure to check both of these out. And remember, as Winston Churchill said, the price of greatness is responsibility. You have an opportunity to live a greater life when you find meaning and take responsibility for everything in your life. I'm excited about this. Make sure to share with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 664. Part two of this interview is coming out soon. Stay tuned. And as always, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work. Tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers. 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. 
Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25.